Hello, hello, hello. These are your hosts, Satit and Tappan, and this is Cold Brew Money. We are talking about money because your friends and family won't. Before we start today's episode, as always, if you like Cold Brew Money, hit the subscribe button. You can give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcast as well. You can even subscribe to us on YouTube. It helps us push good content out on a weekly basis. Uh, so, starting today's episode, we have a very special guest. We have uh, Devraj Singh Pannu with us today. He's an equity research analyst, and he will be teaching us everything you have to know about stocks in thirty minutes. Yes, <laughs> <Just> absolutely. <kidding>. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I've I've known Devraj since um, six years now, which seems very far away. Like I thought I met him like two years back, but uh, he was my roommate in New York, and um, he worked for Deloitte Consulting for a while, and then he decided to move back to India and do his investment thing. So he'll explain it better. So Devraj, um, a short introduction. Yeah, thank thank you, Devraj, for uh, doing this. this- uh, <laughs> Yeah, I haven't have. You know, I don't know anyone who does like equity research in person. So excited to talk to you today. Thank you. I think that's the first time I've elicited you know positive response. Otherwise, half the people are like, "Oh, you capitalistic pig," and the other <laughs> half is like, "Is that really a job?" So yeah, that's that. Okay. <laughs> so Devra, tell us what do you do? What's your daily job responsibility? Mm-hmm. So I am, um, as you said, I'm an equity research analyst. So basically, I study companies primarily in the NSE, that is India's premier stock trading platform. And uh, I work for a small firm, small in the sense it's a wealth management firm for a specific family. However, uh, as part of that, I also work independently for myself. So. I kind of am their employee, but I'm also contracted to them in terms of providing my consulting services, if that makes sense. So yeah, that's that. So I also, in my on my own time, trade for a living. So apart from doing research on equities and businesses and valuations and so forth, we also do a lot of technical work. Some of the stuff I prepare for my colleagues and so on and. Most of the stuff I use it for myself, and the thing is that whatever I use it for myself, I pretty much share it with all my colleagues because it's a combined effort. Trading is a combined effort. You've got to have it. You've got to have multiple eyes looking at the same thing because we, because the market is an animal, and you can't really tame it on your own. Hmm. Well said. So, uh, in terms of strategy, like, is it like deciding which companies to invest in, or like? your 3 month 6 month plan like what is the strategy like uh so i primarily do two types of uh trading one is primarily on a long term basis where we study the business we study the fundamentals the valuations we study the cash flow we study what sort of uh percentage of stock is held in the market by the public the promoters what's the corporate governance if they've had any corporate governance issues etc etc so that's kind of like a 360 degree deep dive that we do and that tends to be for a longer time and our appetite of risk is far greater in the sense that if that stock or equity is going down we are comfortable as long as the fundamentals of the business do not change we are comfortable adding even more hmm. so that's one thing and the other thing that we do is more immediate 
it's more of to generate let's say pocket money so as to speak maybe intraday maybe two days maybe a month or two hmm. okay um so uh, the the long term would be like the fundamental stuff that you guys uh, you guys do and uh, what is more in your uh, like wh- what do you see more like do you do you do more in terms of fundamentals or do you do more uh, intraday and uh, trading uh, generating pocket money like wh- where does your time usually uh, goes so uh, to be honest fundamental does not take that much time uh once you study a company you kind of and if you like it you kind of married to the idea for a bit you know sometimes the time horizons can be 3 years 1 year 2 year 5 years whatever there are some companies that i'm holding since 2017 and uh, you know they've they've been on a roller coaster they've reached highs they've gone down a lot and in the pandemic also when in march everything was falling they were falling too and then they reached highs and now they're going back down again so fundamental is in that sense not time specific it i have studied it once and i updated every month or so just to make sure nothing's changed in the business because that's what really matters to us in the fundamental sense price only matters as one of the metrics so what really matters is the is the health of the business as to speak so that doesn't take that much time the intraday thing that i do on the side and the let's say the weekly or the monthly trading that i do on the side that takes all of my time i'm glued to the screen from 9:15 am to 3:30 pm pretty much uh, i eat my lunch on my desk and wow. after that you're looking at charts you're looking at the data that's coming in you're looking at maybe what the european markets are doing they open at around 1:30 pm india time sorry 12:30 pm india time you're looking at what the us markets are doing they open in the evening and so on and so on so those immediate things that matter more take up pretty much 95% of all of my time uh you said like uh, you evaluate um, the health of the company which does not take time versus the intraday takes like the entire day so like do you think doing intraday is worth it like and you said you do it for pocket money so like why not just go for the long term valuation uh so the one thing that we kind of look for any company and and before i say that i just want to as a disclaimer i make most of my money in long term trading intraday is through the pocket money whatever money i make i'm probably going to lose like 70% of that in a bad trade next month but yeah but in terms of when we are evaluating companies we always like to see some sort of recurring money coming into that company we never want to go in for companies that are very seasonal that let's say have two bad quarters every year because that's not their season so as to speak in the same way <laughs> for myself i want to be able to generate money every month every week ideally so that's why i spend time on intraday and so on and so on intraday is really something that i feel people should do after years of training maybe um i am I have been doing intraday for consistently for over 2 years now and I'm still not comfortable. I feel and I would take at least 2 more years to be fully comfortable so as to speak. So for the people who think intraday is easy or you know there are like those 101 million accounts on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube telling you how to make a million dollars take 100 dollars and turn that account into 2 million 7 million or whatever. <laughs> 
that's that's just not happening that's just not happening so one needs to temper expectations from intraday and if you do temper those expectations you know if you target something like 3% a week which is a pretty good target you can go a long way in that but you're going to have days when you're going to have like minus 7% a week you know and that's going to take off a lot of money of the monthly gain you've made or a weekly gain you've made or howsoever you're accounting for your intraday gains and so forth so you're telling okay. wall street bets doesn't work it works in the sense that it relieves me of my stress at 11 pm when i've seen my positions get absolutely slaughtered I think that's a great uh, disclaimer because there is like a very big widely held misconception that uh intraday trading will make you a lot of money quickly uh but like you said you lose a lot of times uh in general if you keep doing this for a long time you hope that you would uh, net out positive uh, and i think the 3% target yeah if you should have something some realistic expectation like uh not in like three digits like 100% return or 200% return in a very short time i think that that is a huge caveat and it should be more Uh, you know talked about i feel yeah because i think one of the things that i uh, see especially people who want to do intraday trading they they sort of don't quite understand the destructive power of the margin so like if you do intraday trading you need to incorporate some margin or the other because i don't just keep damn cash with my broker all the time earning basically nothing just so i can not use margin right so right but margin also comes with a lot of destructive potential so while your you know positive returns are magnified your losses are magnified too so it's very important to keep a realistic target if i make something like 7% of a trade on a tuesday you you can bet i'm not going to trade the rest of the week and i learned this the hard way there have been weeks when i went on monday exited on wednesday made like a cool 11% and then i entered on thursday again and lost like 20% by friday end of day you know so i've been through that process i've been through that nerve wracking process i've i've been sullen for the entire next week and so on. so right it's very important to keep a target it's very very important because intraday has great potential to really mess up your finances and it's important to also keep those two different so your cash for let's say fundamental slash long term should never be the same cash that you're using for intraday you should always have limits keep them aside if you can have two different brokerage accounts good for you if you have one maintain strict strict limits okay uh, and so you you spoke about margin uh, for people who don't know what that is uh, could you give us like a one on one on what margin is yeah so basically uh, i think everybody understands what leverage is right if you're highly leveraged and so forth especially we we hear that a lot about companies who were uh, drowning in debt to their eyeballs they're basically highly leveraged so for example my broker gives me about 3.3x margin cost free so i use that basically so if i am putting up let's say 100000 rupees you know i can get up to 3.3x of that in that stock and then i get i guess if my profit is let's say 10 bucks on that 
then my profit is magnified by 3.38. But if my loss is also 10, then my loss is also magnified by 3.3x of that. So it's very important to keep margin in context. Some people think, oh, I've just put 100,000. If I lose that, I lose that. But it's important to remember, and this is something that I have on my desk all the time. Going from 100 to 90 and then trying to go back again to 100 requires a lot more. For I mean, I, I think we've already, I think you guys have already discussed this. But basically, when you go from 100 to 90, you lose 10 percent. But when you go for a from a 90 to 100 back again, you kind of need 11 percent to make that gap possible again. So it's very important to understand where your finances are lying, how much you have invested, what it means to the broker, and how much you can take in terms of loss. Right. and i think this is more exception than the rule for i would say 95% and correct me if i'm wrong 95% of the people should just you know do long term fundamental type of investing and people who are really want to take uh, take on risk and understand the market really well uh, should should probably consider uh, getting into intraday trading so for those Absolutely. people yeah So, for those people who are interested, how do you go about your uh, intraday trading? What are your methods? So, um, the beginning of intraday is really cool because you suddenly find that you can make multiple percent a week. You know, when you really go and you kind of see yourself going towards the promised land of financial independence at like thirty-five or something. I don't know. So, right. it's important to begin with a set of basic stocks that you watch and you keep watching them for at least 3 months understand what their behavior is so what i mean is understand what their volatility is maybe you want to just watch the index fine understand what's the maximum it has fallen in a day what are the circuits involved in that index whether it can fall more than 10% 5% 20% whatever it is one needs to understand the sort of average volume trading in that because some stocks or the uh, uh some funds also that people can trade they have really low averages oh uh, sorry really really low volume trading in that so if you suddenly find a great position you buy i don't know like 1000 stocks maybe it's just worth you know 25 bucks you buy like 1000 stocks on that and then you find the average volume is like 700 a day you're not getting out of that one you just aren't So the most important aspect of any intraday trading more important than finding the right stock finding you know timing it right studying the chart studying indicators the most important aspect frankly is to make a watch list of stocks that are actually tradable intraday or on a very short term basis after that yes you understand what the RSI is for example MACD is directional indicators there are some so the, all of these are like momentum indicators they are sort of lagging indicators if a stock is moving up you'll find out that these are also going let's say bullish so it's like a lag because the stock moved up they have started moving in the direction that you want to move in and so forth so one needs to get on that indicator stuff one needs to understand stop loss resistance support all of that comes far far later before you need to understand which stock is actually worth trading in and how do you find that that is i guess you just need to 
have people around you to tell you stuff i mean frankly speaking i had no idea how to find stocks that were trading intraday so what i started doing was my broker used to send 30000 okay not 30000 exaggerate more like 40 calls a week you know saying maybe buy this buy that and all i did was i made a list of those for one month and i started tracking their volumes every day i started tracking their volumes weekly daily monthly and quarterly and then when i found out that some stocks have really violent moves in them they're moving like 7 to 11% a day you know they're up like 18% a week 3 4 times a quarter mm-hmm. or vice versa you know down 20% a week uh 3 times in a quarter or something i wanted to stay away from those stocks sure if i get that right i'm kind of done for the month but also if i get that wrong i'm done for 3 months you know so i kind of figured out new stocks that you know had a crazy week maybe went down 22% one time in 3 months or 6 months but you know they tend to go around 3 to 5% a week at max there are certain basic indicators that show whether a stock is trading near its bottom or its top right so if you look at moving averages so 50 day moving averages 200 day moving averages if something has fallen way beyond that you know there's a good chance it might cough up a small intraday move of a 3% or a 5% or a weekly move of that size you know and that's sometimes all you need frankly speaking you don't need to understand why that stock is trading so low or why that stock is trading so high you just need to see the price action because it has to move either way it most stocks never remain static right so you kind of hedge and you make the move hmm. and you talked about stop loss so like can you elaborate what is stop loss for beginners like how and like what should you set it at so the traditional uh the idea behind the stop loss traditionally is that 2% of your capital should be at risk on any given particular trade however in today's world when you put put up stop losses the entire breadth of the market especially the high frequency traders and so forth can see that so while it's very important that you put up a stop loss and then you say that i won't lose anything more than that and so on it's important to actually understand what that means it's important to have trailing stop losses i believe so if you've made let's say some money on it maybe set your stop loss mentally to a value where maybe you'll exit the moment all your gains are fam- almost vanished the basic meaning is to make sure that your loss doesn't pass a certain point right but you need to kind of keep it unlike unlike traditional where people would say oh just set it at 2% and forget about it no i think one should keep moving around with the stop loss making sure you give no more than what you can afford to give right so like uh, if uh, uh... stock goes from 100 to uh, 110 then your stop loss should also move from like if it was 2% you would have kept it at 98% now since it has moved to 110 uh you should not keep it at 98 but you should move it to like 2% below 110 right is that is that what trading uh, trailing stop losses uh that's too simplistic to take i think uh, okay if if let's say i keep it at 98 and my my I I bought something at 100 I expected to go up I keep it at 90 98 let's say it goes to 110 as you said right 
would probably keep the stop loss at around 104 rather than let's say mm-hmm. 107.8 or whatever that 2% would be right that's because when a stock has moved 10% it's not that big a deal for it to fall 7 uh 7% and then go back again up some part of something like that so you need to keep perspective so like you've made 4% you've made 3% already on the stock if in the worst case scenario is that all that you've made on it that's fine with your eventual goals so maybe just keep the stop loss there you know i would maybe keep the stop loss there at 103.5 yes i'm sitting on a great profit but the stock might go to 114 also and that would be absolutely amazing but the stock might fall to 97 so to keeping it stuck at 98 would be a folly in my opinion at that time so lock in your gains say okay 103.5 it is i've made 3.5% that's a great return on an intraday trade or like i don't know a two day trade i'll keep it at that if it goes below i'll exit and i won't check the price for the whole day <laughs> because once you've exited a stock and maybe you're unhappy with the way you exited that stock and that stock then justifies your actual hypothesis and moves in the right direction it absolutely messes with your brain okay so uh, for anyone who wants to get started with intraday trading uh, like uh, i guess they should probably have a short list of or a watch list of uh, stocks uh, with where they monitor their volume and how much uh, volatility it is which is volatility basically means like how much percent it moves in a day or in a week uh, along those lines right and volume is important volume basically what what is volume let's take a step back if is it like uh, so uh, this is from my very basic understanding and correct me if i'm wrong it's if i sell a stock that's uh, if let's say i sell one share of tcs then the volume of tcs goes to, uh, to like one and then if someone sells uh, it to someone else and it becomes two is that what volume is well yes one transaction is one volume basically but hmm. in rough terms one can think of it in such a way how many stocks have changed hands that day when you sell or buy a stock it's not that you're buying it from the exchange exchange is only the market you're buying it or selling it to someone so the amount of times a stock changes hands it may be that someone bought from you and sold it to someone else the same it's the same stock you know but it's changed hands twice once from yours to x person and from the x to y so that's two so it's roughly the number of times a stock changes hands in that particular day is the volume for that day got it and you want to monitor that because you want to make sure the stock that you will be interacting has enough liquidity so that when you buy it there is some seller on the other end who you can sell it to in right. Sim- simplified version yes however the most important thing is that i as an intraday i'm very small you know i'm just a small retail intraday guy when big guys enter or exit any stock if there is not enough volatility it will simply hit circuits if there are circuits because there are a lot of circuits in the indian markets or in the us it will simply go down 20% in a matter of seconds and you won't be able to do anything about it so you got to make sure that you are it's very important to make sure that as a retail guy you are the smallest fish in the pond 
you know and you got to make sure that you accommodate for the presence of all the big fish around you which is pretty much why you have to keep volumes in mind okay makes sense <clears throat> so we we've talked a lot about intraday trading you also do investing so we like cold brew being cold brew and we talk about long term right so i think we it would make sense to move to investing side so like how do you go about investing in a company for a long term and like how do you value a company yeah so this is basically my bread and butter right i mean yeah we talked for inter- about intraday far too long than i actually <laughs> think about it. but yeah so i roughly follow uh roughly follow three sort of methods to start valuing a company uh i'm just prefacing that by saying a lot goes into actually studying the company but when it comes to valuation a lot of things that you studied may not actually matter so while it's important to know how many dealers let's say x company has you ultimately need to know what sort of margins the company is making whether it has 70 dollars or 70000 that maybe is a secondary tertiary information to have so anyways i digress so there is three basic things one thing that i religiously follow is a ratio called roce which is return on capital employed and the formula for that is roughly earnings before interest and taxes divided by the capital allocated towards the company and so that's something that we look for we look for we kind of see how the roc has been over the last 5 years has it been about 15 or 20% ideally we wanted about 20% but we can look at companies that have also more than 15% if let's say other ratios support that come of course all of us everybody creates a discounted cash flow uh excel sheet right that's like the bread and butter of all sort of valuations and investing you do apart from that we create a sort of a proprietary financial sheet that uh the work the workplace i work at uh has that has a bunch of stuff like i mean i don't want to be too um direct about it but basically we look at let's say operating profit margins we look at the earnings before interest and taxes we look at net profits as a percentage of the net uh revenue and compare it to bank rates and obviously put all of that in making what the eps is what the pe is versus the pe of the of the index so that's roughly what goes around in making a financial snapshot of the company at hand so this generally doesn't have anything to do with let's say the deep dive of the company trying to find out their um what the management is up to you know is the management any good or are they you know scheming little schmucks <laughs> trying to find out what sort of uh, market cap they have is it is it the market cap are the company are they a big fish in a small pond because you know then they need to start maybe trying to enter new markets which may not be nice to their profit margins or are they a small fish in a small bond you know they have a potential to grow really fast or are they you know completely completely diversified in 17 different areas and they are absolute conglomerate and so forth so these are the roughly the way we 
arrive at a company and then the financial snapshot is how we make the valuations of those companies and when you build uh, these models financial uh, snapshot uh, is it like five year discounted cash flow 10 year uh, is there an industry standard that people usually follow so i would say that a 10 year discounted cash flow is is far too much and i know some people do that but then i guess their horizons are far far longer than what i or we have in general uh so i think we generally stick to around 5ish years of discounted cash flow however the work involved in making a 10 year is not that much more than making a 5 year one so like if someone wants to do it more power to you there's no problem with that but we generally tend to look at about a 5 year sort of a, a viewpoint towards the company okay and do you have like a Uh, do you narrow down a list of companies or universe of companies based on market cap? Do you only invest in like small cap, micro cap, or only large cap? Any of those sort, or you just look at uh, the metrics that you mentioned, and it doesn't matter what the current market cap of the company is. Uh, market cap absolutely matters. However, it it matters from a sense of how big or small that company can get. It doesn't quite matter when we start studying the company. You know, like to answer your question, market cap is a metric that we very closely look at, no doubt about it. But it's not something that we used to value it with. Market cap is just something that the market has given it to the company. We want to understand where it will be five years from now. That may be more or less. You know, market cap isn't to be right. accounted for in a financial valuation. It's only a metric. that one needs to know so how do you even begin like how do you even start finding companies again do you get calls from your uh, what do you call your um, firm or like you just have screeners like how do you do that so you know that's uh, that's the biggest aspect uh, about intraday oh sorry about fundamental trading is how do you arrive at identifying a business or an opportunity and at the start i was really perplexed but then after talking to people in you know, it's very important to have a group of people who are working in this kind of a field or rather working or rather have an interest in this kind of a field because i feel you need a lot of sounding boards in this kind of work whether you're doing it full time or whether you're just a part time investor you know so anyways you kind of need to see what kind of themes are happening all across you you're using internet right what sort of fiber optic stuff is going on in the country figure out which companies are running fiber optics start studying them see what the international prices of let's say a fiber optic cable are what sort of prices are being offered within india how many carriers are there are they really expanding you know it's all well and good to think oh within 5 years everybody's going to have this kind of internet and 5g is coming but what if to take a topical this thing what if the only one expanding is jio if they're the only one with actual buying power in this country there's absolutely no question of any sort of price appreciation in that sector but when you find out oh no airtel is expanding too and there are a bunch of local isps as well who are looking to provide fiber optic internet then you get 
you then you get sort of somewhere right you start studying it applying different prices seeing what sort of money the company could make and so forth so it's just it's important before one tends to go on all sorts of massive half of them i would say 85% of them fraud websites selling you ideas the most important thing is to just look around you what cars are people driving what motorbikes are people driving is the rural economy looking up or not do you get electricity at your house if yes then how is your discom doing you know what tvs are people buying are they made in india if they are where are they made in india or are they just assembled in india so there are a bunch of questions one can ask to the world around you to try and understand what exactly is the mood of the nation right where are they spending money or where can the shift lead to in terms of companies or people spending money that's such a great way to look at it like the ideas the companies that you want to invest in is all around you just you just have to look and i think uh, you just need to ask the right questions the data is out there i think like before like if we had to do this like a decade uh, or two decades uh, you know uh, before it would have been very difficult to get those data like just getting a financial statement of the company was a pain so forget all getting to know what like the sector growth rate is or what investments jio uh, or the company is making it that would be even more uh, difficult to get but now it's it's so much uh, freely available uh, you just have to ask the right questions absolutely i feel sometimes that amount of data absolutely overwhelms you that's why uh, it's been drilled into me that you know you can study a company as deeply as possible you know you can know the names of the mds all the way down to the guy who answers the phone when you call them but the most important thing to look at is frankly its financial performance and are they into any kind of goof ups or mess ups like it doesn't matter whether you know what's the rate of how much a vendor is making on some cable which sells like the most in this month that that truly is insane amount of information that one can truly find out in this day and age but it absolutely does nothing towards trying to understand how it is valued today and how it will be valued five years down the line uh, so uh, talking about the uh, avoiding the pitfalls or uh, avoiding companies who has like you know uh, crooked management how do you find those like how is there a way by looking at the financial statements you can kind of gauge if there the some manipulation happening do you have some sort of ratios uh, that you can probably derive from the financial statements finding out corporate governance issues is the biggest issue frankly in india that we have unless you know people who know people there is literally no 100% sure shot way of making sure of any management but there are some things that you can do as an investor to figure out you know one thing is that almost all companies by law have to share what sort of related party transactions they make and what does related party means it means let's say the promoter is making the company buy or sell to another of his company which may or may not be public right and he might stand to financially gain from it's important to scrutinize those because the public company will have to disclose 
what sort of related party transactions they did. If it's something normal, yeah, that makes sense. He's probably saving some money and making money for himself at the same time. That's that's fine. That's great actually. But if it becomes too much, then that's a cause for concern. So I don't want to name the company, but I'll just give an example. Uh, for the record, we are short in this company at the moment, and the recent fall has really helped, you know, in that regard. But okay. uh so again but i don't want to name the company so this company is an absolute rising it's a mid cap company its market share is about less than 7000 cr so that's the that's in a billion dollars right and it's a it's doing very well its business is booming but the three kids of the promoters who have almost negligible stake in the company earn over a 100 cr from the company's overseas subsidiaries and they aren't even full time directors okay wow while their full time director md who actually runs the company who is a non uh, non family guy earns compensation his fixed income is 3.3 cr and if you include stocks and everything that goes up to around 50 60 cr So these three kids who are not even full-time directors, let alone versus the guy who is actually the head and running the company day in day out, they're earning hundred percent more than what he does just from the overseas subsidiaries. And the only reason we know that is because some transactions have to be made public about your overseas subsidiaries, who are obviously not listed, but you kind of have to show something, right? So there was an actual. Uh, um uh, shareholder uh, action against them sort of and those three kids were kind of voted off the board interesting so that's all i'll say that's too yeah. much information i'm sure somebody can google <laughs> enough <laughs> all right uh yeah this this was a great uh, example case study of how corporate governance is all all messed up uh, and i that's how long did it take for you guys to uncover this uh, or like how can anyone sitting at their desk uh, with a computer can uh, get you know they they would be able to uncover this as well yeah this was not it, you don't have to be you know i don't sure luck homes to find this out right you just kind of as an investor in any company or as a potential investor in any company you always go through all the quarterly results of those company right it's obvious that's that's your job you look at what they make you look at how much money they made or how much money they lost and then you come to their subsidiaries how much money they're making whether they're in a loss whether they need support from the parents and so forth so it took us two quarters of finding out that something's not right but and i want to stress while all this was happening the share price was actually going up just because you find out corporate misgovernance does not mean the stock price has to fall the next day so it's not that oh i'll go short now that's not an actual strategy what this shows you is that this company is not fit for long term investment even if the stock price doubles in the next year or triples that's not for you to fret about you have to follow certain rules and principles and if you feel there are corporate governance issues you watch that company like a hawk but you never invest in that company when you start looking at companies like how much how many months do you research on a company before you go in 
putting your money on that company like even going short or long so uh, we generally watch that company for about a month or so you know we try mm-hmm. to almost every financial snapshot of ours is made from as of right now 2020 is made from 2015 uh september onwards so okay. that's roughly q3 of 2015 in this year we were making from q3 of 2015 so when we make financial snapshots we go that far back mm-hmm. and then we make valuations at every two year level so we'll make a valuation call in 2017 we'll make a valuation call in 2019 and then we'll make a valuation call today mm. and if those valuation calls are sort of working vis-a-vis the market conditions at those times right if there was a bullish market in 2017 we expect the valuation call to be positive if it's not that's a cause for concern let's study why that happened if there was a bearish market we expect the valuation call to be negative if it wasn't if that went up that's great the company has shown some resilience let's study why it showed resilience at that market while there was a market weakness so we go about 5 years back and we kind of make a detailed analysis of how much the company is worth every 6 months every year and see how it matches up to its actual valuation and then based on that divergence we start making future calls about it so once we've kind of studied that we don't take too much time in entering if we feel it's worth entering obviously so that then we've looked at the stock for maybe 15 20 days this all takes not more than 10 15 days and if you know if we are really feeling good about it if we have a high conviction so as to speak you start entering there's no need to keep watching the stock you know there's simply no need if you like it start going for it slowly start building positions there's no need to enter into something on the first day itself obviously but also there's no need to just keep waiting on the sidelines for some mythical price so as to speak and uh, do you have any like uh, portfolio allocation uh, criteria that you guys follow like in terms of uh, technology sector mein itna hi uh, we will like 10% of our portfolio will be dedicated to this or of in one company we will not invest more than uh, like x percent of uh, our portfolio is there is there some certain criteria that you guys follow so uh, we do not have a sectoral criteria i i think that's because we recognize that many times it's the entire sector rises you know and mm. so at that time having a sectoral criteria is kind of an impediment to your gains sure it provides you protection when the entire sector falls mm. but at the end of the day if you are watching a company for the long term and you entered at the wrong time for an entire sector it'll probably come back mm. if it was just the sectoral issue and not a something serious with the company itself but right. at the same time we do have a rule on how much we invest in one single company and that's roughly is between 5 to 7.5% we usually do not go over 5% but if we do go then we need it to be really really high conviction and even then we won't really go above 7.5% So even if that company goes to all the way to zero all you've done is lost 5% of your total portfolio. So that's right. something that we definitely follow. 
and even for like uh, the same advice could apply to like a retail investor you think or they should uh, it depends on their journey of investing if they it's a smaller capital i guess you have to be uh, you'll be exposed more than 5 10% in one company well well that is true i think but there is absolutely no reason to be invested more than 20% in any company in your portfolio i i know some people mm-hmm. who are pretty much like 90% invested in one company and that is that blows my mind it doesn't matter what your capital is investing more than 20% in a single company is a hail mary shot look it might be the most obvious trade in the world you know and you might be Warren Buffett fine but why do you want to put take on that much risk over your entire portfolio that you've probably worked hard for quite a bit to be confident enough to part with it in a volatile environment such as the market there's no need for that kind of risk even for retail investors and I, at the end of the day i am a retail investor myself it absolutely is makes no sense to go more than 20% in a single company i would say let's not go above 7.5% but fine retail investors have very small amounts and 20% should be the absolute hard hard limit makes sense yeah even personally like if something goes above 20% i, I usually 15% is where i am comfortable uh but yeah mm-hmm. i so definitely try selling so do you like think that um for beginners at least um who don't want to buy individual stocks like it does makes it makes more sense for them to like buy go for index funds and mutual funds and things like that Oh absolutely I think index funds is a great in, uh, invention frankly speaking for someone who at the end of the day just wants his money to do better than what a bank rate will be for it right um in india traditionally bank rates have been far higher as compared to the western world uh, i believe in the last few years we had fd rates of like 7 and 1/2% uh, notwithstanding the current extremely low rates all over the world thanks to the pandemic but India had FDs of 9% for senior citizens. 9%. The flip side is obviously if a country can consistently guarantee you 9% of money, it is also going to guarantee you at least kind of 10 to 12% of real inflation. So I mean tell that discussion is for some other time. I am a proponent of far lower rates than what they exist right now. But apart from that, simply saying that you want to have returns that are more than inflation and index funds in theory promise to give you more than that so i think for some people definitely not everybody can do this even though i think investing is frankly not hard investing is uh it's just not for the faint hearted that's all it's not hard absolutely dumb people can invest and make a lot of money there is absolutely no magic formula you don't need to study anything in your life to be successful in this field you don't need any special skills you don't need to have a special sauce somewhere to figure out how to invest and where to invest and so forth however considering time crunch and interest and what not index funds is by far the best way to be able to sort of participate in this vibrant method of increasing the money that you have rather than depending on the bank rates do you have a like a recommendation on what uh, index fund people should buy uh, in india uh i think 
that's a tough one to say frankly speaking i yeah, have not a... looked at an index fund in probably 3 years oh, to be okay. very fair but i'm guessing there is a nifty bees and then mm. there is a next nifty 50 and these index funds would be just fine i suppose frankly mm. speaking at the end of the day the beating the index is hard even in india beating the index with your overall portfolio to rephrase is hard you can find one or two companies that do exceedingly well in a very short period of time but where is your overall portfolio in that time period that kind of matters a lot more right so do you guys do uh, or do you ind- like uh, individually do other than equities uh, do you have like gold and other like assets in in your portfolio so uh, my most of the colleagues and most of my bosses i mean one boss mm-hmm. mainly uh, they absolutely det- detest gold they f- see no value in gold they see no value in real estate and i think that's something that you ex- uh, expect from a real estate per- uh, sorry from a equity person right yeah. they're not going to uh same phrases of real estate because it's completely illiquid coming from a stocks guy you hate the idea of your money being completely tied up and i think something similar exists in the gold field however i do uh kind of dabble in gold and i'm very proud of myself of seeing the upcoming gold surge all the way back in 2018 because i actually had a hypothesis and blah 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 and i convinced my boss to say that let me add 3% of gold to our portfolio it's not going to take anything out of you you know it's just 3% and whenever it will go above 3% i'll and reduce those positions and whenever it will go below 3% i'll keep buying that's it and as you can see it's worked out pretty well i would yeah, say over the absolutely. last months but the regret is i jumped in too soon so for 8 months nothing happened and i seriously doubted my my idea but yeah i think that that worked out well that so as 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 a joke i mean i think apart from tech stocks doing well the best thing that's happened to me and my portfolio is is gold yeah well done yeah <laughs> okay so for people starting out right those who are just starting to invest like what are like three important lessons that you have learned in your career that you would want to impart uh start with humility you know there is absolutely nothing special about investing in stocks and making money off of it uh there have been numerous experiments of monkeys literally randomly picking stocks and giving better returns than celebrated fund managers that's just that's just a fact uh at the end of the day it does have a irrationality to it which is why uh even today we can rival quant stocks oh sorry quant funds in returns if it was completely rational computers would have run away with this game a billion years ago be humble just look around you just look around you what the opportunities are what the wave is the trend is and three read everything that you can get your hands on read about valuations read about businesses read about the cyclical nature of businesses read about the economic conditions the macro conditions read about why macro conditions matter and why they don't 
it's important to understand why stock prices may not reflect any sort of macro conditions because i mean the current situation is the prime example of that by all accounts by all traditional accounts we are in a recession but show me one stock market anywhere in the world europe you know london us india china if if that is behaving like a recessionary market it's not so it's important to understand macro conditions but it's also important to understand how to delink it from what businesses are going through i think the one thing that i've taken from almost 3 proper years in this field is um try to understand the power of cyclical nature of the businesses that's very important and that something is we can find out just by watching the news and reading the papers that's literally it there is no secret formula to this hmm very well said cool yep so we'll move um to the next topic like talk to us about your side project that you're working on right now with your brother uh, ignite overseas oh yeah uh so like we so me and my brother uh, uh you know uh, echoing modi ji we were like pandemic hai kuch fayda uthaya ja sakta hai <laughs> you know we thought we 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 discuss something for a while and why not put into something action so we've started with a small firm called ignite global ideas and one aspect of that is uh that we can help people with their uh uh put their academic com- accomplishments in perspective and help them in their candidature for future studies whether that's in india or primarily outside of india and you know uh that's not just the only thing that we plan to do we plan we, we plan some big stuff you know and we are also in the process of hiring staff we've actually added one guy we probably going to add one more so we're going at it quite a bit in fact the reason why i kind of joined you guys late on this call was because we were pre- preparing a presentation for a webinar tomorrow <laughs> so that's going well you know that's interesting i don't know what the future lies obviously but that's going well and another thing that we have in that is uh we are kind of working on using some of the so my brother is a, a computer science engineer right and you know i am also so called engineer so we are working on sort of creating an algorithm slash quant fund but in a very personal capacity and i think we'll take out a so like now like how tapan remember you used to have betterment and stuff like that yeah 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 so we want to make like a garage level stuff of that something similar to that and uh, like robot advisors sort of you know uh, it'll be very it'll be more of uh, it'll be more active like mm-hmm. robot advisors tend to be active only when you tell them to be active or um they reach certain thresholds that you set mm-hmm. but ours would be far more active because we won't be concerned about paying taxes and stuff like that well we pay we pay whatever yeah so mm-hmm. these two things are sort of uh, we're working on side by side Mm. Yeah that's a great idea when you launch the fund you should come back on this. <laughs> yeah. I'll be I'll be very yeah, interested. Yeah, in, yeah I think and, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, 
I think first we'll test how it does before I come back on it. I don't want to doubt a losing fund, obviously. <laughs> But yes, that's <laughs> yeah. a great idea. Uh, I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of quant funds uh, just because I'm also an engineer by background. So um it's it's I write my small small strategies which which is nowhere comparable with uh, with quant funds. But yeah. uh it's it's fascinating i think we should there's there's it's underutilized um uh, but maybe there is a reason why it's underutilized yeah i think at the end of the day uh i i don't want to dis- dismiss the entire field obviously but at the end of the day quant funds ultimately gives you the power to be very fast rather than unlocking something new it's the same thing that you ultimately decide to do and i mean this in terms of shorter term trades so i do not mean this at all for long term investing i would not use any fund for long term investing i would like to study the business on my own i don't care whether it takes me 20 days but that's what something i do but for short term trading yes sometimes i feel that one can take out the emotion out of the investment and just go for it that's actually quite beneficial yep mm-hmm. Cool. So, and like, where can people find more about um, Ignite? Uh, do you have a page? Yes, uh, we have. We have an Instagram account. We have a Twitter account, obviously, and we have a website. So, cool. Yeah, all of those will be linked in the yeah. description. Yes. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, it makes it, it sounds a bit weird for me to say the entire thing <laughs> online, but yeah, I'm sure you guys will link it. Cool. Um, I think that was it for this episode. Uh, again, if you like this episode, please subscribe to Cold Brew Money and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Share it with your friends. We are also available on YouTube if you search for Cold Brew Money. Uh, thank you so much, Devraj, for joining us on today's podcast. Uh, this was super fun and insightful. I learned a few lessons today for sure. Yeah, this was a blast. Thank you guys. Yeah, it was fun for me too. It was my first podcast, so you know, <laughs> uh, apologies for any uh, over enthusiasm and excitement. But yeah, it was a lot of fun, and I hope to be back. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely want you back on the show. Cool. So these are your hosts, Adi Dan Tapan, and this is Cold Brew Money. Bye. <laughs>